0: Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century, somewhere around 53, 54, 55 A.D. We've entitled this series Strength in Weakness, Strength in Weakness, because really the theme is when we are weak, then we are strong in Christ, and Paul is saying that actually it's in our weakness. That God often then begins to use us with his strength. And that before glory comes suffering. It's, the whole, it's a theology of suffering and glory. It's a theology of weakness and strength. It's, it's sort of this, this upside-down kingdom that the world doesn't understand. Uh, that, that our mighty God, in a moment of great weakness, hanging on a cross, was the moment of greatest strength when he defeated sin and death. And if you're not a Christian, that's at the center of Christianity, the cross. A place of shame that the world would look at in weakness and say, what is this? But God says, this is my glory shining most brightly. And isn't that good news? This morning's message is entitled, A Partnership Worth Fighting For. A Partnership Worth Fighting For. And our text is 2 Corinthians one twelve to 2.4. 2 Corinthians one twelve to 2.4. So what is worth fighting for? What in your life is worth fighting for? Sadly, we have seen on display in our television sets that for the Ukrainians, what is worth fighting for is their freedom. And it's been very tragic to see that play out. And I'm sure many of you are praying as we're all praying and as we see them fighting for freedom. What is worth fighting for in your life? Really what I'm asking is, What's most important in your life, right? You're going to fight for that which is most important. Many of us would say, my family, and we see that in Ukraine, my home. Um, For the Apostle Paul and his apostolic team, they said, what is worth fighting for and giving my life for is this gospel partnership with the church in Corinth. So Paul was used by God at the end of the second missionary journey around 51 51 A.D., to plant a church in southern Greece, modern-day Greece, in a place called Corinth. And a partnership was created, a gospel partnership, rooted in the truths of the faith. The faith, once and for all, delivered to us by God through the apostles. And Paul and his team said, it is worth fighting for this partnership. Back then, the fight was to maintain the faith that God had given them, the gospel. After Paul planted the church, he left and went back to his home church in northern Syria, and some false apostles entered into Corinth, peddling a false gospel, and they were drawing the hearts of the Corinthians away from the true gospel, and hence away from the apostle Paul as God's Apostolic delegate. And so Paul is willing to fight for this gospel partnership. He's willing to fight for this gospel truth, for the faith of the gospel. Now, that fight today for us takes many different turns. Because trust me, that battle is going on today as fiercely as it was in that day. There is the gospel. That God has established from the beginning of time when he promised to bring the seed of the woman, a man born of woman, to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the history of the Bible and the history of mankind is, will God keep his promise? And he did keep his promise when Jesus, fully God and fully man, born of a woman, came to crush the head of Satan, to reverse the curse, to defeat sin and death. That gospel truth was at stake here. That gospel truth. And it's still at stake today. From the beginning, there has been an opponent of God who wants to hinder that gospel and hinder that salvation and fight against God and rebel against God. And it's nothing new, and it's nothing to be afraid of, though we need to be cautious because it's been going down through the centuries, this principle of evil, and we see it peak and ebb, and we see times when it means war and slavery and genocide, and times when it means apathy and sexual perversion and all that is wrong, and And that that evil has been tumbling down through history, but it's doomed. It's going to lose. But the fight is real. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight to believe God about God. It's a fight to believe what he says about himself here rather than inventing things about God from here. We're all susceptible to this, all of us. The Corinthians were doing that. It's a fight to believe What Jesus said about the cross, it's hard to believe. Even his own disciples, Peter, James, and John, walking with Jesus, having just confessed rightly that Jesus is the Messiah, as soon as he said, and I'm going to the cross to die, said, oh, no, you can't do that, Lord. They rebuked him. It's the fight today for what we call the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross it's waging. It's raging today. Some people would call that cosmic child abuse, that the Father would send the Son to die on the cross for his people. There's a fight going on. There's a fight going on about who, who are we. Are we sinners? Are we totally depraved? Or are we basically pretty good and we can sort of figure it out? There's a fight today about justification. How are we made right with God? Is it through tapping into the universe and kind of doing a bunch of good things? Or is it because of Christ's righteousness? And we trust that righteousness. There's a fight for sanctification. How do we live our lives? Does this Bible truly speak to me about how I live my life? Or can I relate to God on my terms? This is sort of a, you know, a handy little kind of sort of guide, but I can kind of make it up as I go when it comes to things like sexuality, how we treat one another, ethics. It's a fight. It's been going on from the beginning, and it will go on until the end, but here's the deal. When Jesus comes back, the fight will be over, and he's the victor. But between then and, and that time, it's a fight. The fight's on. It's the fight that some of you are fighting to believe that God is good in the midst of your suffering. And thank you, Seth, for praying for those that are suffering. I felt God's father heart there in your prayer. It's the fight to say, God, where are you when I'm sick and hurting and disappointed and discouraged and there's violence in the world and i see people being murdered on television and i hear of little babies being murdered in abortion clinics and i see the perversion and i see families broken and i drive through blighted neighborhoods and i say oh god this injustice is crushing me where are you god god knows you're fighting dear one jesus was a man of sorrows He understands your sorrow, and it's a fight to keep believing God in the midst of disappointment and discouragement. And it's a fight that's been going on for centuries when heroes of the faith suddenly deny the faith. When men and women that we have looked up to for so many years suddenly say, you know what, I'm not a Christian anymore, and I don't believe it. And they can rightly point to abuses in the church for which the church needs to repent, but then they extrapolate from there to say that God isn't really the God of this Bible, and let's just go ahead and redefine him or her. And and they, they leave the faith. They deconstruct the faith to such a point that it's no longer the Christian faith. That's a fight of faith. It's a fight of faith. There seems to be a, a, a wave. Those waves come and go, come and go. In the early church, there were waves of this. In the early church, it happened when, when uh, uh, Caesar, uh, when Nero, started persecuting Christians. Imagine this church. And some Christians, because they didn't want to die, denied Christ. And then after the, the problems went by, they wanted to come back into the church. Can you imagine that? And let's say your father didn't deny Christ and was, was killed, but then someone else denied Christ, but then came back to the church. Fortunately, we're not dealing with that today. But, but we are dealing with this wave of, of deconstruction and, and questioning so much that we suddenly say, I don't know if this is really authoritative. Why did Jesus have to die if we're not really bad? You know, knowledge, I think knowledge comes from within me, not here. This is the fight. Back then, it was a certain fight. Today, it's a certain fight. And in the future, it'll be a certain fight. Here's the one thing that's true. God wins the fight. God promises to keep his people till the end. God promises to keep us till the end. No matter how confused or discouraged we might get, God will keep us. This is what he says to us today. This is what Paul said to Corinth that day. Here's the thesis. Fight to stand firm in the faith. Fight to stand firm in the faith. This is what Paul was saying to Corinth. I will fight for this gospel partnership, therefore we must fight to stand firm in the faith. Is what he's saying to Palm Vista today. That's what he's saying to Al Pino. That's what he's saying to you. And in our text this morning, he gives us not only why we fight to stand firm in the faith, but how we fight to stand firm in the faith. So let's look at it. Point one. Why we fight to stand firm in the faith. Oh, please hear me. You you must hear this. This is God's word to you. The good news is that the reason we fight to stand firm in the faith is that God is the one who establishes us in the faith. If not, forget it. But because he does, this is the why. Why we fight to stand firm in the faith. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-24. Because it is God who establishes us. On the screen. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. God establishes us with you. What Paul is saying is God is the one that built this gospel partnership. And because God establishes us with you, this is a partnership. This is a faith worth fighting for. And has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. Why do we fight to stand firm in the faith? Because God establishes us. Look at verse 21 again. God establishes us in the faith. God is the one who unites us with Christ, and God is the one who then puts in our hearts the desire to grow together toward Christ and to grow to be like Christ. The original word in the original language, which happened to be Greek, here it's translated establishes you. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.8 on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1.8. There it's translated sustain. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I fight? Because God sustains me. God establishes me. God will keep you and sustain you and establish you until the day of Christ. That's why you fight. Why do we fight? Go back to verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 1. Because it is God who anoints us. Do you see that? Not only does he establish us, but he anoints us with you in Christ, and has anointed us. This this word anoint points to the gospel truth that we're saved, saved by the anointed one, Jesus, whose life, perfect life, was lived for us. His sacrificial death was died for our sins. We celebrated that in communion. Who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, to then pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. So he anoints us. We fight. Why? Because he saved us. It's rooted in the gospel. So we fight. Why? Because he establishes us. He anoints us. And then go back to verse 21 again. Excuse me, verse 22. And who has also put his seal on us. Why do I fight? Because God puts a seal on me. God makes me his own. You are not fighting in a sense, as a foreigner or as one outside of God's family. God says, you're mine. Well, that's good. So if I'm God's and he puts his seal on me, he's my identity, then I'm fighting as part of God's family. And God doesn't lose. So I'm fighting as his. I belong to him. And then finally, verse 22, why do we fight? He establishes us, he anoints us, he seals us, and then look at this. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Why do I fight? Because God has given me his spirit to guarantee my inheritance. I know a little bit about inheritance. Sadly, because I'm at the age that many of our parents are passing. And however modest those inheritances are, it's still a blessing, right? And someone says, listen, you're in the will, you're going to get the inheritance. And you look forward to that. And maybe you have very wealthy uh, parents or you have very wealthy relatives and that inheritance is going to be super big. But the point is, there's a down payment on the inheritance and the down payment is the Holy Spirit. That inheritance that we get is guaranteed by God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. David alluded to that. I fight, I suffer, I see pain and injustice and murder and bloodshed. I see in my own heart wickedness and I'm so disappointed with myself and with others but what keeps me is I've got a down payment. I've got a guarantee that one day is gonna be glory. I can suffer today and look suffering and evil and pain in the face and lament and weep and cry and hate it and get angry at it but I've got the down payment of the inheritance. One day that won't be like that. So I fight today with the guarantee of that day. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So why do you fight? Are you fighting? If not, I want to encourage you. Because God has established you. Because God has anointed you because God has sealed you, because God has given you his spirit as a guarantee of the inheritance. One day the fight will be over. Fight today. Don't lay down your arms today. Fight today. And how do we fight? Point two. How we fight to stand firm in the faith? We fight by grace. We fight by grace. Look at verses 12 to 14. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 14 for our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand and i hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us that on the day of our lord jesus you will Boast of us as we will boast of you. What Paul is saying here is, I am fighting by grace. I am fighting in prayer. I'm excited about the renewed prayer emphasis at Palm Vista. If you can, get here at 9.45 on a Sunday morning. If you can, log on and pray with us on Thursdays uh, at 12.30. And if you can't, and God puts in your heart, to pray at another time, let us know. Let's have hundreds of prayer meetings, micro-prayer meetings, prayer meetings for folks during the week, prayer meetings at night, prayer meetings early in the morning. You see where I'm going with this? The spirit of prayer, we're a house of prayer. We, We fight by grace, and that grace is manifested in prayer. That grace points again to the gospel. We fight by the very life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That's what it means that we fight by grace in verse 12. Put it up there again. But he also talks about in verse 12 that they have behaved or they fight. Remember, he's writing this because he's fighting for the partnership. He's fighting for the faith that they're drifting away from, and he's fighting for it. Listen. He says, we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Simplicity and godly sincerity. How do we fight? We fight according to the image of God in Christ. That word simplicity, again, has a range of meaning. And in that range of meaning is by God's holiness and by God's image. So we don't fight dirty. Dirty. The false apostles fought through slander and gossip and marketing techniques and the world's ways, worldly wisdom. Paul says, we fight by weakness. We fight by servanthood. We fight by getting small so that Christ could be big. We fight not by promoting ourselves, but by promoting Christ. We fight by being your servant. And in fact, the Corinthians were saying, because that's how you fight, we see you as weak. No, no, no. This is how Jesus did it. Jesus came to die. That's what they couldn't understand. If you are the Messiah, come down off the cross. He didn't say this, but he could have said it. Because I'm the Messiah, I can't come down from the cross. But they didn't get it. So that's how we fight, through service and humility. Never taking our own vengeance. Never being angry. The anger of man never fulfills the righteousness of God. But we are humble servants broken men and women, strength in weakness. And then this word godly sincerity, that's just pure motives. The false apostles were there to build their own kingdom, to build their own following, to get likes, subscribe to my YouTube page so I can get money from advertisers. And all they were doing was using the Corinthians. It was a wealthy church, it was a happening church, it was a church filled with beautiful people and beautiful chariots with beautiful togas. They were the South Beach of that day. And they were just taking advantage of them. Paul says, that's not us. We come to you to serve you. I'm going to work with my hands while I'm there so I don't have to be a burden on you. I'm going to serve you. I'm coming with godly sincerity. I'm not a hypocrite. My motives are pure. What a contrast. And then look at verse 14. We fight to stand firm in the faith, by faith. The very faith that will enable us to stand firm on the day of judgment. Stay with me. We fight to stand firm in the faith, by the very faith that will enable us to stand firm on the day of judgment. Look at verse 14. By the way, before I start, what are you going to fight for? You're going to fight for the thing that's most powerful, the thing that's most valuable. Let me tell you something. On the day of judgment, we will all stand before the throne. And what is going to get you through that day? Here you go. Just as you did partially understand this, it's not going to be you're making up who God is. It's not going to be a bunch of fluffy good feelings. It's not going to be stuff that we think is so important. It's certainly not going to be a car or a job or a bunch of relationships. Here's what it's going to be. It's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be humble people bowing down and saying, Yes, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. Thank you for saving me. It's going to be the tax collector standing before the throne in the temple and the Pharisee's right next to him. And the Pharisee says, I'm glad I'm not that guy because I'm religious. And the tax collector just going, have mercy on me, a sinner. Literally, he's pounding his chest. And Jesus says, that one goes home justified. The other one doesn't. It shocked the people watching because they thought this guy was going to go back justified. He's a Pharisee after all. And this guy was a dirtball tax collector. The faith... Is what enables us to stand on the day of judgment. That's verse 14. Just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, what he's doing is equating Jesus with the day of judgment because Jesus is going to be the judge. The one who died in weakness on the cross with everybody mocking him is the one who returns as the almighty judge before whom we will stand. But all those that put faith in him on that cross at his resurrection and ascension will stand before him righteous, not because of their righteousness, but because of Jesus. That's the faith that's worth fighting for. That's the faith that they were starting to drift from. That's the faith that we're tempted to drift from every day. Every day. You will boast of us and we will boast of you because we're both boasting in Christ. How do we fight? By grace, prayer. Huge point there. The gospel. How do we fight? With simplicity. We do it in the image of God. We do it with humility. We don't employ the world's tactics. We do it with God's tactics, his image bearers. We do it with godly sincerity. We don't have hidden motives, but we truly care about others. We do it by faith that Christ will enable us to stand on that day, do you think about that day? What is going to be your stand on that day? Communion is meant to not only look back, but also look forward. What about that day? What are you going to say? Everybody is going to stand before him. He will judge the living and the dead. What will you say? Oh, Christian. You will say, Christ. I have trusted you however imperfectly. I have sinned so often against you, but every time I have said, Jesus, forgive me, and I've bowed my knee to you, and I've humbled my heart to you, he says, oh, I will no wise cast out the one who has humbled himself or herself and confessed me and trusted in me. My blood has covered you. And finally, how we fight, we fight with humble confidence in our faithful God. Humble confidence in our faithful God. So I bid you, stay with me. This part can get a little tricky in the sermon, but I think it's important because this part, this part of Paul having humble confidence in the faithful God is the reason Paul got in trouble with the Corinthians. So let me read a couple of verses, and I'm going to throw a map up there. Hopefully I can share what this looked like, what it looked like for Paul to humbly trust God and not his own force of personality or anything else to see these folks stand firm in the faith. Let's go to verse 15. 2 Corinthians 1.15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Let me explain that via a map and some history. So on the screen, you should be seeing a map. If you see it, everybody shake their head if you see the map. All right, great. I can't see it on my screen over here. Um, If you look at the left-hand side of the map, you will see modern-day Greece. Then you will see to the right a body of water, the Aegean Sea, And then to the right of that, you'll see where it says Asia, that's modern-day Turkey. So the Apostle Paul, at the end of the second missionary journey, on the bottom of the Grecian Peninsula in Corinth, he planted that church, 51 or so A.D. Then when he was done with the second missionary journey, he went back to his home church in northern Syria. Syria should be on the right, sort of the right bottom section of the map. Antioch, he reported to that church, then he began the third missionary journey. In the third missionary journey, he walked from Antioch, I don't know, however many miles, three, 400 miles, to Ephesus, where it says Asia, modern-day Turkey, and he spends three years in, in Ephesus, preaching the gospel. In fact, at one point, he says, all of Asia heard the gospel. At the end of his three years there, maybe 54, 55 AD, not quite sure, he writes 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Why? Because he was hearing reports that the Corinthian church, the partners with him in the gospel, were straying from the gospel because they had let these super apostles come in, these, these, these guys that were not preaching the gospel, they were peddling a false gospel, turned their heart away from the gospel, and hence their heart was turning away from Paul and this gospel partnership. So he writes 1 Corinthians. And then he tells them, He says, look, I'm going to come. I'm going to sail across the Aegean Sea. So from the right-hand side of the map, I'm going to sail across the Aegean Sea. I'm going to visit you in southern Greece first, and then I'll go up to northern Greece. Southern Greece is Corinth, Achaia. Northern Greece would be Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. But then he changes his mind. He changes his mind... And because he changed his mind, we're going to read that in a moment, they said to him, you're weak, you're a coward, you write us these strong letters about the gospel, but you're afraid to come talk to us? You vacillate, you're a bad leader? And they were rejecting him. And so he writes 2 Corinthians now, having left Ephesus, he goes to Macedonia, northern Greece, and that's when he wrote 2 Corinthians, what we're reading right now. And he's appealing to them. He's saying, this is about the gospel. This is about you believing the gospel again. This is about calling you back from the poison well that you're drinking from, that you would drink from the well, this this well of the life and the word of God. I'm appealing to you. And he says to them, the reason I changed my mind wasn't out of being a bad leader. It was because I trust in God that he will change your hearts. And because I'm trusting in God, I've changed my plans. All right, so pick it up with me, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 1.17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this to make the change? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? No, he doesn't. Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And surely, as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. I'm not vacillating back and forth. I'm not a weak leader. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not being moved by the winds of public opinion. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Silvanus and Timothy, these are those two apostolic team members that initially went with him to plant the church. And I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the God of his glory. Then he makes this point. I'm not coming to you. I changed the plans because, verse 21, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. I don't have to worry about making this thing happen. God established it. God will make it happen. God told me not to go deal with the problem right away, not in a sense of urgency and panic and because I'm insecure about who I am as an apostle try to fix it with you. No, no, God said, you preach the word to him and let me work on him. You go up to Macedonia. Why? Because God has established us with you in Christ. He really had faith in God. He didn't try to manipulate God. This church is God's church. Your family is God's family. Have faith in God. He has anointed us. He has put a seal on us. He has given us of his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I didn't come to Corinth, not because I'm afraid of you, because I'm sparing you, because I love you. Not that we lord it over your faith. I'm not coming because I'm not going to lord it over your faith. Lord knows we have been guilty of that at this church early in our, in our history where we lorded it over people's faith. We have repented. If you don't know about that, great. Forget about it. It's history. But I'm just going to be honest with you in case you're watching and you were part of it. There were times where we forgot. We I actually, we actually thought. Mm, I actually thought I was the Holy Spirit. So you know what? I need to make sure someone understands this because if they don't, Right? I gotta beat it into their heads. Oh Lord, forgive me. Paul was far more mature than that, and we're maturing. I think we've changed much. He says, Paul says, I don't want to lord it over you. That's why I'm not coming to visit you. Not because I'm afraid of you. Paul was half Cuban. That was a joke. He wasn't, he's not half Cuban, okay, in case you're wondering. Not that we lord it over you, verse 24, your faith, but we work with you. He didn't go there because he's working with them, because he respects them, because he loves them, because he honors them, but they're still messed up in their theology. You know, the two poles are you say nothing? That's wrong. Or you beat people half to death with the truth? That's wrong. Somewhere in the middle is I respect you enough to tell you the truth. And then I step back and let God work in your heart. Preach it, Al. Lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Why did he do it for their joy? Not because they irritated him, but because he loved them. He wanted to see them have joy, and you will never have joy if you stray from the gospel. I don't care what invitations you have in your mind of God, I don't care how comfortable it makes you feel with your sin, you will have joy. You won't have joy apart from God and his word. You won't. You're going to have suffering, you're going to have pain. You're going to have rejection by the world, but you're going to have joy that no one can take away from you because no one gave it to you. God gives it to you. It was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross, which was shameful and painful and horrible. Do we think as his disciples that our lives are going to be any different? For you to stand firm in your faith, look at chapter 2, verse 1. He continues this theme. Remember, he's writing from Macedonia. He's already written a couple of tough letters. Listen to what he says, chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who would have made me rejoice." For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. That's faith. I trust God and his word enough that I don't have to bang it into someone's head. I can share it and pray. God will work it. God makes his word fruitful and faithful. He just calls us to speak it faithfully. And then look, he concludes with verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, Fighting for gospel partnerships, fighting to stand firm in the faith will cost us, but it's worth it. It's costing those Ukrainians, but they will tell you it's worth it. And with many tears, not to cause you pain, but here's the motivation, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Church, here's the appeal. Because of the abundant love that we have for one another, because the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts, because God has delivered to us once and for all the true gospel, the unadulterated gospel, the gospel that sets us free, that is based on Christ and his glory and his person and his work and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, because that's true, I'm willing to fight to stand firm in the faith. I'm willing to fight for gospel partnerships, however painful, however much it costs me, even if it costs me my life. Because I know there's a a guaranteed inheritance on the other side of the pain. Because God put his seal on me, and I belong to him. My life's no longer my own, but I live for him who died for me and rose. Because he fills me with his spirit. Because God Promises. Guys, remember church we preached through 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, Northern Greece, Macedonia. Remember he says God is faithful who began the work, he'll complete it. God will deliver you blameless on that day. That's why I fight. So the appeal is, will we fight together to stand firm in the faith by the grace of God? Not by the wisdom of man, but by the grace of God. Not by the force of anybody's personality, but by the grace of God. Will we fight together with simplicity and do it God's way? Honoring people, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, not bad mouthing people, not being arrogant. Will we take the hit? Will we forgive? Will we love? will we, well, we, well, we fight with sincerity, not with mixed motives. And when our motives are mixed, then we repent quickly and we repent publicly. I'm sorry for my mixed motive. You know what? I wanted you to see this truth as much for what it said about me as a teacher as it says about God. Please forgive me. But now the truth is still true. Will you believe it? And we fight by faith. Faith that God is faithful. Faith that this is God's church. Worship team, you can join me here. Faith that this is God's church here. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. But it is our church in the sense that He unites us together, He unites us to Christ. But He's the head of the church. No man is. And therefore, he knows how to mature his church, how to build worship teams, how to build diaconal teams, how to build elderships, how to have prayer meetings, how to reach the community. Do we, is our heart beat for the community around here that we, say we want to see the gospel of the kingdom penetrate this community? And we fight by, by joy. Several times you read in this text that Paul says, I do it for your joy. I do it for my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. May it be our strength, church, as we fight to stand firm in the faith that has been once and for all delivered to us. Let's pray, and then we'll seal this with a song. Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision on this beautiful day. Lord, give us a vision of glory. Give us a vision of the day of peace where all sin will be banished where all war will be gone, where all tears will be dried. All the wounds will be healed. Give us a vision of that day of glory while today we cry and bleed and hurt and are disappointed and are confused and are dazed and bombs are going off around us, of, of deconstruction, of, of friends leaving us because they've left the gospel and of us disappointing ourselves and others. And oh God, the bombs and the hits and the, the bullets just keep bouncing on and hitting us and hitting us and we just wanna, we just wanna say ah. Lord, sustain us as you promised you would. Establish us as you promised you would. Lord, anoint us with the good news of the gospel. We're saved by grace. You will fulfill it. He who called you is faithful. He will bring it to pass. Lord, we fight because you've sealed us. We really do belong to you. We're not trying to get into the club. You've let us in based on Christ. It's not, a, it's not a club, it's a family. May we fight because you filled us with your spirit, spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Help us, Lord. We're really weak. We have good days and bad days, days when we want to lay down the arms and run. Help us to encourage one another to fight, to stand firm in the faith that you've delivered us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing the song. It's a beautiful song. I think it's a new song for us. I can't remember if we've sung it before. Have we sung this song before, Gary? Is this the first time? Ben led it a couple of times. Did Ben lead it a couple of times? Okay. Uh, but, oh, the mighty hand. Yeah, you can stand. Um, I just want to read a couple of verses. I like to do this because I want you to think about these lyrics. Uh, it's good to sing them. It's even better to think about them. Uh, verse 1, oh, the mighty hand. Marcos, if you can put it up there, oh, the mighty hand that controls the sea is the hand that fights for and cares for me. Isn't that amazing? That's that's good news. And the God who thunders, the God ablaze, is the God who loves me a million ways. Verse two, on the mountains, oh the mountains tremble and the earth it shakes. It does feel like it right now, doesn't it? Wars and rumors of war. Nuclear war. It's just, it's craziness, right? A month ago, who would have thought of war in Europe? It's just what's going on? Who would have thought of COVID two years ago? Two years ago. Next week, two years ago is when it hit. We started meeting uh, online. Oh, the mountains tremble and the earth it shakes. For my God has heard of the laws I break. See, now that it brings, it gets real here. I've broken the laws. But he holds the fire of his wrath from me. Why? Because he sent Jesus, his son, to a cruel tree. May we never stray from that doctrine. And then I love the chorus. Praise to God for the world he made, for the son he gave. For the price he paid praise to God let the song be raised up to God my God and the one who saved let's raise that song right now church